We'll be in Luke chapter 20 this morning, verses 40, or 27 through 44. Luke chapter 20, verses 27 through 44. Here is a short quiz for you. The answer is yes or no. Is this found in the Bible or is it not? Cleanliness is next to godliness. No. No, it's not. The English philosopher Francis Bacon wrote that in the 1600s. Spare the rod and spoil the child. No. That's a wrong paraphrase of Proverbs 13, 24, which says, I know you wanted to say that, but it says, whoever spares the rod hates his son. Again, words are important. Yes or no, money is the root of all evil. God is mixed there. Money is not the root of all evil. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, the love of money is the root of all evil. How about this one? Is this in the Bible or not? Hate the sin and love the sinner. Some people are hesitating now. No, it's not in the Bible. And somebody say, no, wait, that is in the Bible. No, that's a Facebook post that you liked and you passed on to 100 people. Hate the sin and love the sinner. Gandhi wrote that in his autobiography in the 1920s. But do you see? Oh, that's Christian. That's the Bible. Here's another one. Let me ask you this one. Yes or no? This too shall pass. People don't know on that one. It's no, it's not in the Bible. The Persians and Abraham Lincoln said that. One more. God moves in mysterious ways. Have you heard that before? Yes. Have you said it before? It's not in the Bible. No scripture says that at all. And you don't have to answer this one, but the one would be this is my spouse and I are going to be married in heaven. And the question is, is that true? As I saw someone yesterday at a swim meet and said, hey, am I going to be married in heaven or not? They saw the title before we got here. Well, we're going to go to God's word and hear Jesus himself give us an answer to that question and others about eternity. And therefore, the big idea this morning is the word of God is the only source of truth for life after death. Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 27. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife, but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her. And likewise, all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection." But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. 
But he said to them, How can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? We've had the privilege to read the words of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Again, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask again that you would assist us, that you would work in us, that we would call to you and you would answer. We ask that you would open up your words through your Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to have a greater understanding of your truth and that you would hide it in our hearts and that we would learn and grow and apply it and walk in holiness. Jesus, thank you for sacrificing yourself that we could have eternal life through faith in you. We ask now a blessing on the reading and the preaching of the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know people, or hopefully you're not one of them, who just makes up stuff? You just make up stuff to the point where you say it so many times that you believe it. Do you know people like that? I know people like that. I'm like, what in the world? I was there. How did that happen? Wait, you're saying this? No, that's not even true. And some people just make up stuff. Some people have reasons because they want to get attention from others. Others just, I don't know why, they just lie and they just make up stuff. Maybe it's a, a hobby for them. Well, this morning as we look at this, we're going to look at verses 27 through 33. Man's ridiculous made up stories. Here is one by some religious leaders who just make up something for the purpose of trying to trap Jesus Christ. If you haven't been with us in chapter 20, we've been reading in how the Pharisees and then the Pharisees send some secret hidden spies, everyone trying to trap Jesus in the temple, getting him to either blaspheme God or to say something against the Roman government so that he can be taken out. Now here, the Sadducees, it says in verse 27, come to him, those who deny there is a resurrection. Now, we're really familiar with the Pharisees, as in the last few chapters of Luke, they continue to have these interactions with Jesus. But who are the Sadducees? Well, the Sadducees were religious leaders. They were part of this Sanhedrin, or this group of council, where you had Pharisees, and you had Sadducees, and you had scribes who were Pharisees, you had all, and the priests, and all these were a group of religious leaders for the nation of Israel. The Sadducees had a lot of political power, and they were very liberal theologically. And the Sadducees would only accept the first five books of the Bible, the law, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The Pharisees would accept that and the the, the law and the prophets. Because of that, the Sadducees also did not believe in angels. They didn't believe in demons, even though the first five books of the Bible are filled with angels. They say they didn't believe in that. But also the Sadducees, unlike the Pharisees, do not believe that there's a resurrection. They don't believe in life after death. You could call them annihilationists if you wanted to. The Sadducees believed that at death, your soul and your body just perished. There's no punishment and no rewards. And today there are people who are also holding to the same thing that Sadducees believe Now, if you read Acts chapter 23, the Apostle Paul is taken before this council. 
the, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, and they say, hey, why are you, uncount- why are you brought here or whatever? And he says, because I ho- have hope in the resurrection of the dead. And automatically, that statement started a fight among these religious leaders. The Pharisees, they start saying, oh, we see nothing wrong with him because we agree with him. But the Sadducees start a fight, and it became violent that the soldiers had to pull Paul out of there so he wouldn't be killed. Acts 23.8 says this, For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. So just as the Pharisees began to bring traps to Jesus, trying to get him to say one thing or another, the Sadducees also, we're just going to make up a story. We're just going to make something up that's going to cause confusion about heaven and eternity for those like Jesus who believe in that or the Pharisees, whatever. They're trying to trap Jesus. They think their stories is going to be one that would cause problems in heaven. So look at this ridiculous story they make up. Like, hey, there's a guy who's married. He dies, has no children. So his brother marries her. He dies. They have no children. The third one marries her. They have no children. On and on to the seventh one, they die. It says, Jesus, when they get to heaven, who she married to? And I bet some of the crowd would be like, wow, that's kind of a good question. Whose wife will she be after the resurrection? Again, they're trying to make the resurrection sound like some absurd, crazy thing that the Pharisees and Jesus, that they would hold to and teach. But remember, they're trying to discredit Jesus. They're trying to trap him. What they're bringing up before them is found in Deuteronomy 25 and Genesis 38. It's called leverite, uh, or leverite marriage in the sense that in the law, God commanded that if a husband and wife are married and they don't have children and the husband dies... It's the responsibility of his brother to marry the widow and to have children. You go, wow, that's a weird one. I wouldn't want to marry her. I want him to marry me. Well, you think about this, and here's the purpose, though, that God gave them. The purpose of this was that, one, the brother's name or memory would continue on, but specifically for keeping the property or the inheritance within that family line, and it was to protect that widow from going and marrying someone from a Gentile nation. There was a reason for it and why God gave it. And the Sadducees are like, hey, we're going to twist this and give this to Jesus and see what he says what happens in heaven. <clears throat> for them, they would think it would be impossible. Oh, how does this work it out? <clears throat> but again, the Sadducees do not believe that there's any life after death. So they're just making up stuff, trying to trap Jesus. And instead, what Jesus does uh, with their answer, his answer to them is not what they would expect. And so what he does in his response is he silences them. Look at verses 34 through 40. Scripture silences the ignorance of man. Now, if we spent time here this, this morning, we could go through lists and lists of things that people say, and let's just say about God, about heaven, about hell, that is just said in ignorance. Things said by Christians and things said by non-Christians. And what happens is in circles of Christianity, everyone wants to talk about it and try to argue all these things. And the thing that's left out is the word of God plainly. The word of God gives us 
clear answers to all of these things, specifically here, and how Jesus addresses it. If you read Matthew chapter 22 and Mark chapter 12, it's the same account recorded by Matthew and recorded by Mark. And basically, Jesus tells the Sadducees, you are foolish, you are wrong. And the reason is because you do not know the Bible. You do not know God's word. Mark chapter 12 actually says, Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you neither, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? You see what Jesus does here, he points to scripture and basically according to scripture, as we see his answers here, it's very clear that there is a resurrection, that after you die physically, you're, you will continue on eternity, and we'll look at that more closely in one place or another. I hope you've never been accused of this, but the question to ask is, have you ever been accused of being wrong because you don't know the Bible? I would say that many Christians in America are biblically illiterate. And so we speak out of ignorance because we've never opened it or we've only opened it a little bit when we have God's counsel, his wisdom. Everyone wants to know what's God's plan for my life. It's here. It's not in rolling some dice and figuring out, am I supposed to go to Africa or am I supposed to teach or am I supposed to do this? No, God's will is laid out for us in here. The problem is we don't like his will. So that's why we ignore it. And we're biblically illiterate people. And at the same time, I know that I pray that you, like me, we do spend time in God's word and we do love the word of God and we ask for the Holy Spirit to teach us. And so that's a wonderful thing. Sanctification. We're not there yet. God is continuing to make us more and more like Christ in the sense that when we read the word, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes so that we can mature in our faith. So that's my prayer for you. And I ask that you pray that for me, that we would continue to search the scripture, that the Holy Spirit would teach us and we would grow and that those who are ignorant of God's word and those who are biblically illiterate would become literate in God's word and would devote themselves to the reading of the word. Jesus is laying out, if you look at verses 34 through 36, he's like, don't challenge me, Sadducees, when you don't even know what the Bible says. Look at verse 34. The sons of this age uh, marry and are given in marriage. This age is talking about living in this earth. There's a purpose. If you go back to Genesis, it was not right for man to be alone. So he created Eve and that they would have children. He says, multiply. It says in verse 35 here, but those who are considered worthy to attain that age and to the resurrection from the dead. He's dressing those Sadducees and all in regards to eternity, neither marriage nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die anymore because they are equal to the angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. Now that is a whole lot. And I'll tell you this. People even distort some of those things. Because we see it on social media and my hundred other Christian friends liked it. So I better like it. Oh wait, that's not in the Bible? Man, I better go back and unlike those things. It's so easy for us just to accept what someone says without checking the word of God. 
Jesus not only gives the Sadducees an answer they don't expect, but he tells them, you are wrong. You do not know the word of God. It would be like us this morning bringing in the best brain surgeon of the world and having him sit up here on the stage and try to tell us about brain surgery. And all of us say, you know nothing about brains. And none of us ever studied it. This is what the Sadducees are doing and what Jesus is correcting them in. Again, remember, these people do not believe that Jesus is God. They do not believe he's the Messiah. They think he's just a man. So in one sense, it shouldn't surprise us their responses to him. But again, as we've seen in Luke 20 and throughout, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they're jealous of Jesus because the crowds are listening to him teaching and he has authority when he teaches When you read the word of God regarding eternity, regarding heaven, regarding hell, new heavens and new earth, if you really look at the scriptures we have, in one sense, we know very little that God has given us to understand all of eternity. What he has given us, though, is the most important things about eternity, about heaven and hell and the new heavens and new earth. He's given us what he wants us to know, and we will learn when we see him face to face or are separated from him forever. What is clear is that there is a resurrection and life in eternity after physical death after the day of judgment. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I will read to you verses 40 through 44. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Paul writing to the church that when you die... When you are glorified with God, if you have faith in Christ and you are saved, you have this resurrected, glorified body. And so when you read the imperishable, the perishable, there's, here's the reality. You cannot die again. So there is no more death. We were just praying a minute, moment ago for a sister in Christ who the doctors say are facing physical death. There is no more death after you die physically. You die once. There's no more sickness, no more cancer, no more whatever disease you name. No more physical pain. Just talked to a brother before the service. and He's like, hey, they say my hip has got to be replaced. No more hip replacements. Amen. No more tears. No more grief. No more sorrow for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ, when he died, was buried in the tomb. On the third day, rose again. Jesus Christ, fully God, 
added to himself full humanity. And therefore, after he rose from death to life, he walked and talked and ate food with his disciples. He showed them the holes in his hand and in his side. Jesus Christ ascended to heaven. Jesus Christ now ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father, fully God and fully man. He has a glorified body. Therefore, a picture for all who die in Christ will be raised and be given a glorified body. Something to look forward to. Amen. Now, what about the question of marriage? This is the part that's hard. I was talking and praying with Steve yesterday as we were praying for his wife, Joan. This August, they celebrate 50 years of marriage. 50 years of marriage. I love my spouse. I want to be with my spouse for eternity. Wait, there's no marriage in heaven? What does that mean? Again, we think of these things from an earthly mind, not from knowing all of eternity or what Christ teaches us. And the answer is we do have in his word. Marriage was created by God for this relationship and companionship and reproduction. In heaven, it says no one's married and no more children will be born. There's no need to populate heaven as Mormons would believe. You have to populate a planet that you're a God of at some point. So some of you go like, well, I just feel bad. No. To think that there will be perfect relationships in heaven with God, loving him, loving one another, perfect unity. And with that, you have to look at what this question is. Not only is there no marriage, but it says you'll be like the angels. And I just want to guard you against just spouting off things about angels. I would have to say out of the, the years of the numerous memorial services and funerals I have done, family members or friends get up to share and they talk about the deceased as they're an angel. I just talked to that person yesterday. They're looking down on me. And I know that those are needed in times of comfort. That the, but it's lies. It's not truthful. Angels are spiritual beings that are sent as messengers by God for his work. But there is nothing in scripture that shows us that a person who dies is sent back to comfort us, to talk to us, to watch over us. Can't find it in scripture. There's no halo, there's no harp, there's no wings flitting from cloud to cloud in heaven to be like the angels. Actually, when you read scripture, it seems to be clear that in a new heavens and a new earth, that we don't just sit around as lazy bums. There's actually work to do, just like God put Adam in the garden to keep it. And we'll like the work. So we have a resurrected body, perfect. There's no marriage because... That is not needed or God's plan for eternity will be like the angels in the sense that would be spiritual, eternal beings. That's what Jesus is trying to teach here. There's no more death for those who are in Christ. The Bible does not say that we will not have some closeness or not recognize the family members. I was thinking about my grandparents and my mom and my uncle this week and was like, man, I, I look forward to seeing them. In heaven, they have a relationship with Christ. And I believe that they're with Christ in heaven. And so there's nothing that says you won't recognize them or uh, know them. But 
the relationship focused on earth is not the key in heaven. It's the relationship between God's people and him. We think about the streets of gold. We think about the new heavens and earth. And we're like, we so long for that. Jesus, come. But the whole treasure and your inheritance is not the streets of gold. It's Jesus Christ for eternity. Everlasting joy. Never ending. Ever growing. No more sin. So could I give you a warning? Be careful. Church. Christians. In the words that you say, the supposed Bible quotes that you think are there, if you don't know, don't even share it. Don't even spout it off. What I wish that everyone would do in social media if you're a Christian is stop quoting people and would you just send scripture? Imagine the word of God, the living, active word of God that works on people who are not Christians, who read your post and they're like, what is this? And maybe the Lord uses it to, to bring them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stop quoting whoever. Stop quoting Gandhi and quote Jesus Christ, his word, and may God do a work with his word and save people. Well, look at verse 37. Again, it's like Jesus is like, okay, Sadducees, you are professional, biblical scholars. You know the word of God. You've memorized the first five books of the Bible. Here's what he says in verse 37. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living. Amen? For all live to him. Now, if you turn or mark it, turn to Exodus chapter three. Jesus is referencing when Moses uh, is on the mountain and God speaks to Moses and says who he is. He mentions Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. By the time that Moses comes along and God speaks to him, those guys have been dead for a few hundred years. And so you look at Exodus chapter three in verse six and God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But did you hear? He says, I am the God of those men. And it says Moses hid his face from God because he was afraid to look at God. Jesus says, Sadducees, your biblical test, your quiz, you just got an F on it. You just failed it. You know the word of God and you don't have the right answers for this. <clears throat> Actually, he says, you don't know the word of God. You say you do, but you don't. God is the God of the living. God is not the God of the dead. He's God of the living. And therefore, the truth of having a resurrected, glorified body is something that we long for. And we pray, Jesus, come quickly. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. If you are also going to quote Romans chapter 8, you need to quote Romans chapter 8 on your social media or whoever you share it with. But would you quote the whole verse and not just part of it? Again, people quote part of Romans chapter 8 verse 28 that God's going to make everything good in the end. And they leave off the rest of the verse of what God, is, His Word is speaking of. Because, let's just read it here. Romans chapter 8. Verse 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? For good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So again, 
Many Christians will tell people, oh, God works everything for his good. It's all going to come out good at the end. How do you say that to someone who rejects Jesus Christ and their end is eternity with the wrath of God in hell forever? Don't lie to people. Quote scripture and all of it. Go on to verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And here we go. Verse 30, 29, 30. We call it the order of salvation. He just lays it out there. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified in heaven, glorified body with Jesus for eternity. God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi about... Eternity, And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, But our citizenship, again, he's writing to Christians. He's not writing to the world. He's writing to the church. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. Is your body lowly? Mine is. To be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Love that. So when we read these things, the words of Jesus, when we read what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans and in first first Corinthians and in Philippians, when we read the word of God, we understand that there is no such thing like the Sadducees believe. There's no annihilationism that you just cease to exist. There's no reincarnation that you come back as a dung beetle or a nice little red fox or some type of bear or some, you know, microbe in some pond scum area. You don't become the god of your own planet with a hundred wives to repopulate it or whatever. And the word of God does not teach universalism that every single person will one day be in heaven for eternity. These things are clear from scripture. Read the word of God, and I pray, and you should pray for understanding. My question for you, though, is are you one who believes in a God of the dead? He's like, what do you mean the God of the dead? You may be someone in this room who believes in gods who are buried in this earth, God little g. I found out this week that you can go find Buddha's tooth in Sri Lanka. You want to go see his tooth? And then somehow they knew it was like his left hand bottom one. I'm like, wow, people go to worship Buddha's tooth. If you want to go, you like Confucius, go to Khufu, China, where he's buried. You want to follow Muhammad? Go to Medina, Saudi Arabia. And then I learned something new about him this week. They cut off his beard. You can go to his beard and worship his beard or something like that. I don't know. We laugh about those things. The reality is many in this world blindly follow after people who are buried in the ground and they're separated from God for all eternity. The wonderful, glorious thing for you this morning, if you're a follower of Christ, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, God's promises to fulfill, to do what he has promised to you as one of his children is just mind-blowing. 
to think about the inheritance that we have in heaven set before us. Therefore, as a Christian, you may be fearful of the way you die. Am I going to have pain? I just, God, I just want to fall asleep and die in my death. How many people pray that? I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to be tortured. I don't want to go through the pain of cancer. I don't want to do any of that. For the believer who's in Christ, you have assurance that when you die, you are with Jesus. To the man hanging on the cross next to Jesus. Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Today you will be with me in paradise. Turn to Romans 14. Romans chapter 14. And one thing I would encourage you to do is every time that I preach or a person preaches from this pulpit and they say, look at this other passage of Scripture, don't just go back and read that one little section or one verse. You need to read the context of Scripture because that is one of the greatest problems of Christians who are ignorant and illiterate with God's Word and just spout off stuff because we don't understand God's Word in its context. The verse... For us, we have chapters and verses which we added later so we can find those things. But in a letter or in a book of the Bible, in a testament, the New or Old Testament, or within the whole Bible, read context and don't hold and stand on some ground just because you've got part of a verse. God does all things you know, good and not hold on the rest of it. So go read the Word of God. Romans chapter 14, verses 7 through 12 says this. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all Stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God, so that each of us will give an account of himself to God. You will give an account before the Lord God Almighty. Because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. To bear the sin, the sins of his people. And there at the cross, Jesus Christ took the wrath that was meant for you. And God the Father was pleased to crush his son, to pour out all of his wrath on the son for the punishment of the sins of his people. And Jesus Christ physically died there. His blood that was shed was shed so that your sins could not just be covered over, but be completely removed. And he rose from death to life, conquering death. Death has no more sting for the believer. And so for you, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, that he is Lord and that forgiveness and salvation is found in him alone, God says he saves you and he adopts you. 
He makes you in right standing before God the Father legally so that when he sees you, God sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's been given to you through faith in him. And God says, that's my son. That's my daughter. I have an inheritance for you in eternity. I promise to bring you into my kingdom. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus Christ said this in John chapter 14, verses 2 through 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I love that passage. Jesus' words, his promises to his people that he will fulfill. The response in verses 39 and 40, if you go back in Luke chapter 20 here, it says, Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any questions. Both Matthew and Mark and Luke all say no more questions the rest of his time before he goes to the cross. All of their tests have been smashed. All of their traps have been broken. And no one dared ask Jesus another thing because Jesus is God. He is the one with all of the answers. And I pray that we would not be like these people, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, because look at Jesus' response in verses 41 through 44. What we see in these religious people are mindless, mindless, reckless, religious people. And I pray that you are not that way whatsoever. Because what Jesus does is before they get away, he then says, here's a question for you. I'm going to ask you a theological, biblical question from Psalm 110. And, and, and in that, the Jews correctly believe that the Messiah, the Christ, would be a descendant of King David. You can read it in 2 Samuel chapter 7. You can read it in Psalm chapter 89. You can read it in Isaiah chapter 11. You can read it in Ezekiel 34. They're all passages, and the nation of Israel believed that the Messiah would come from the line of King David. Well, look at verse 41 here in Luke 20. But he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? What he's saying here is you believe rightly. His question, though, is why do you believe it? So the opposite of what we just see as Jesus challenges the challenge for you as a believer is maybe you believe rightly about you have good theology, good doctrine, you believe it rightly. But can you actually go to scripture and say, here's why I believe it. Here's the proof. Again, the opposite is I find many believers who cannot go to scripture and say, here's why I believe this. Again, I think it's in the Bible. Oh, isn't that that quote? I saw that. Here, they know the answer. They hold to Psalm 110 as he talks to these scribes and Pharisees. And he, in a sense, says, why do you believe it? Well, if you go back to Luke chapter 1, where we started over a year ago, in Luke chapter 1, verses 32, it says here, in regards to Jesus' birth being uh, prophesied here, and said it would happen, he will bear... Or he will be great 
and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. So here you have not only the Psalms, but here you have this declaration, verse 20, 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there is no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So Jesus says to these people back in Luke 20, You believe rightly that the Christ is the, the, the Lion of David, but why does David call him and give him the title of God? How is these things possible? And this is the problem is they don't have an answer. Matthew twenty two forty six 46 says no one was able to answer him a word, nor did they ask answer. Did anyone dare ask Jesus any more questions? Here's the key. These Bible scholars are mindless. They do and they say things without thinking as they're attacking Jesus, as they're leading the nation of Israel. Are you someone who is a Bible scholar in the sense of calling yourself a Christian, but you're mindless and you say and do things without ever thinking about them? These guys are also reckless. These Bible scholars are reckless. They do and say without thinking about the consequences of their words or their actions. Are you a Christian who is reckless and you do things and you say things without thinking about the consequences of them? And you just respond out of emotion or what you think is in the Bible. These guys here were Bible scholars and they were religious people and they have... No clue in how to answer something that they actually believe is right theologically and biblically. Are you one of them? Do you believe things that are in the Bible, but you have no idea why you believe them? Sit down, make a list this week. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal truth. If you need help, call me or one of the elders or one of the leaders in the church. Read the word of God. I was praying this week that you and I would be like a group of people in Acts chapter 17 in the city of Berea, the Berean Christians. Acts chapter 17 verse 11 says this, Now these Jews were more notable than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I'm so thankful that I saw someone yesterday at a swim meet and had already looked at the title of the sermon and looked at the scripture and, 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 and in a sense expecting to learn from the word of God. Do you blindly just walk in the door on Sunday morning having no idea, God, what are you going to do? Just do something today. And when you could have spent time reading the word of God and God working in your life before you even walked in this place, you need to. As the worship team comes forward, this isn't a beat up on Christian session because everything I said applies to my life. I so want Christians, believers in the body of Christ here at Discovery Alliance Church to love the word of God, to know the word of God, to speak the truth of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ to others so that the Holy Spirit would work in your life and in their life and save people and all the glory goes to God? First Peter 3.15 says this, 
but in your hearts honor God, the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. I pray that you and I would be like the Bereans who accept and receive the word of God with eagerness in our hearts, that we would know it, we would read it, we would hide it in our hearts, and we would then therefore be ready to give an answer anytime anyone challenges us and asks us, and we can point them to the scripture. And if we don't know where, we can find another believer, another leader, and we can lead them in those things. Because again, the big idea this morning as we look at eternity is the word of God is the only source of truth for life and death. Father, I pray that in this moment, as we sing to you, as we declare our praises to you, that you would work upon our hearts. Father, for any who are in this room or are listening online, who are far from you and worship the gods of this world who are dead and are in tombs, I pray that you would open their eyes to you, God of the living. I pray, Jesus, that you would reveal to them the gospel, the good news of what you've done to save them and that they would place their faith in you and be saved. And Father, for every believer here, including myself, I pray that we would love your word. So Holy Spirit, stir up our affection for your word. Let it be the authority of our life. May we know your word. Holy Spirit, give us the answers to the questions. And when we are challenged, be able to give an answer from your word. Receive the praise from our lips. Jesus, amen.